Hey there, Matt once again. I hope you've been feeling well. Up here in Minnesota, the weather is warming up. I'm recording this on April 30th, and it looks like the weekend will hit the 70s. So big shout out to Mother Nature for that one. Very excited for that. However, we're all feeling a bit antsy. People are getting out, but there's definitely an air of caution that keeps the season from reaching that maximum springtime jubilee. If you live in a winter-stricken area, you'll definitely relate to the magic of spring. It almost feels like something you earn, something that nature gives you in payment for you dealing with sub-zero temperatures, snowstorms, and ice roads. This time, however, the reward isn't as sweet. Sure, people are getting up and out of the house, enjoying the weather, but eating at your favorite patio is gone. Outdoor concerts, lounging on a lakeside beach, gathering around our favorite food trucks... These small luxuries that we've all become accustomed to, swept away by a transient virus. But just because it's different doesn't mean you shouldn't get out. It's a great time for solo bike rides, contemplative morning walks, and neighborhood runs. Sure, doing these things with a spouse or your family, granted they're in the same house as you, is great. But there's a lot of value in doing these things alone. Now that may sound counterintuitive, because many of you are probably spending a lot of time alone already, but there's something very meditative about getting acquainted with your thoughts while you're in a state of locomotion. You begin to think more positively, you problem solve, you come up with these incredibly creative ideas. I've found that morning walks and runs have really helped me process a lot of the things going on right now, and it's my hope that you found your own methods to process things as well. Let's get onto the show. But before I do, a reminder that my last guest, Heidi Andermack of Chow Girls Catering, offered a lot of great resources for aid. Those can be accessed in the episode's description, as always. Also, a friendly reminder if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. But most important of all, if this content is valuable, tell a friend. Just one. They don't even have to be a foodie or interested in the hospitality industry. I like to think of this podcast as not something strictly food-related, but human-related, kind of like a historical record of how we're all feeling and reacting in the time of COVID-19. Anyways, let's finally introduce this guest. Welcome to episode four of Food Under Fire. Today I'm speaking with Chef Yia Vang. He made a name for himself with Union Mung Kitchen, which is a pop-up found outside of Sociable Cider Works in northeast Minneapolis. The food is an amalgam of Hmong culture and Southeast Asian flavors. Yeo was born in a refugee camp on the border of Laos and Thailand. Him and his family, six siblings plus parents, left for the States when he was five years old. Growing up, he had trouble contextualizing his Hmong identity. All he wanted to do was blend in. He developed a deep fondness for American food, and in fact, he always begged his mom to make spaghetti or pack him a cheese and bologna sandwich at least once. But this fondness for American food evolved into a fondness for food in general. He loved cooking, and it became his career. He got jobs in upscale kitchens all over Minneapolis, including Nighthawks, Burrow, and Gavin Kaysen's Spoon and Stable. But he's doing his own thing now. And since doing his own thing, he's really reconnected with his Hmong roots, his culture, and his parents. It's kind of all become this backdrop for everything he does in the kitchen now. Earlier this year, he announced his first brick-and-mortar restaurant, Binai. It's a culmination of his Hmong culture and the culinary influences that come with that. 
but with the coronavirus pandemic, it's been put on pause. So where are things now? You'll learn more in just a second here. I have to say, I really enjoyed our conversation, but keep in mind that the beginning is interspersed with small blips due to connectivity issues, but once we got past all that and the business updates in the beginning, things got surprisingly deep and insightful near the end, which explains why this episode is much longer than the other ones I've recorded so far. So be sure to stick around for the last third of this interview. It's worth it. Enjoy. How are you? How have you been lately? It's uh, it's been okay, you know, compared, you know, with whatever everything's going on. You know, we've been doing okay. Um, it feels like a Saturday every day. Um, no, kidding. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, man, I I think we've been here for almost two months. Uh, we're we're doing okay. You know, our our, um, our takeout program's been doing um, decently well, and you know, we've been very blessed with some of the um, press stuff that we've gotten, and so we feel very blessed with that, and you know, we're able to. Um, give hours to the guys who want hours and uh we're able to you know we even brought in a, another full-time guy on uh last week just so that we can keep up so we can keep up with staffing a little bit so yeah it's been it's been going okay good well i mean clearly you've been staying busy you have a lot going on and you know the beginning of this year looked a lot different for you specifically compared to now because it was around that time where a lot of announcements and conversations were happening about Vinai, the the, the new spot. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about the state of your new restaurant. Let's start from the beginning. And when I say the beginning, I yeah. mean the beginning of this year. So a lot of exciting yeah. stuff happened with the Kickstarter, a lot of mm-hmm. uh, exciting buzz around the place. So so how did that progress? Yeah, um, yeah. the beginning of the year was, was amazing. You know, we went to uh, um, January... Uh, really excited. You know, February was our Kickstarter. It was exciting. It was, you know, I was nervous. We, you know, our goal was 75000 to to raise. That money was going to go, uh, is, not was, but is still going to go towards the kitchen, uh, building out, especially uh, getting that uh, wood fire grill. And then we, it's always interesting because the way that uh, all the analytics for Kickstarter is like the first week, it's like, boom, like it shoots really high. You feel really good about yourself. And then week two and three, it just like the curve flattens, if so, you know, using yeah. the language. <laughs> and then you're just like, oh, do I have no friends? You know, like right. nobody likes us. And then literally that last like 10 days, it's like, psh, it shoots up again too. So uh, it really plays on your emotions. Uh, a lot of times I, I feel like uh, eighth grade middle school girl where it's like, I don't think anybody loves me. I think everyone loves me. I think nobody loves me. Right. Uh, so so you, you kind of emotionally go through this roller coaster. And then at the end, man, it was just a lot of cool support right there at the end of uh, February where people were coming out and just saying, hey, man, we believe in you. I mean, even after after uh, everything closed with the Kickstarter, in which we went over, you know, our 75. And the thing with Kickstarter is I was trying to explain to people is if you don't hit that, your goal, like you get nothing. So yeah. it's not like GoFundMe where it's like, oh, whatever you get, you know. And then, you know, so it's like if you don't hit your goal, like so if we would have went and hit like 74,000 or whatever, you know, on that, on that last day, like if we we would get nothing, you know. So it's like, oh, my gosh, like I have to, you know, we have to hit that goal. And then we went from there on. Yeah, I mean, it was really cool. Uh, and then we went over. And then after that, we uh, even after the Kickstarter, people kept calling in to say, hey, can we still give? So we're like, yeah, sure. How did things kind of shake out when the pandemic hit and it started to get really, really serious and the restaurant community 
started to respond and close down. How was the 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 startup operations or the preparation of VNI affected? Yeah, I think everything went on pause. So literally, I tell people about a week before the shelter in place was, you know, state, you know, uh, the governor put out the shelter in place. We were like rolling the ball. We had our architect ready. He, uh, their team actually did a 3D rendering of the spot we were looking at. So like, I jokingly say it's almost like getting an ultrasound. Like I've never had an ultrasound before or whatever, but yeah. I can only imagine. All my sisters, you know, they have kids. So they, you know, we and sister-in-laws, we've been through the ultrasound stage with them. And so, like, you get this 3D rendering. You're like, oh, my gosh, it looks so real. And they, they walk us through the area. So, like, when you do the 3D rendering, they actually walk you through, like, okay, you're coming through the front door. This is what this is going to look like. And then you're like, oh, I don't like those benches there. And they're like, don't worry. And they two clicks, they move it. And you're like, what? And so you kind of, like, get really committed to that where you're like, man, I could totally see it. And then literally, uh, we're thinking about signing the lease, we're kind of getting some funding stuff kind of wrapped up and shelter in place hit, all the restaurants shut down, everything changed. And then we're like, okay, we're just gonna have to put a pause in this right now. And then for us, what was at that point, or at this point right now, what is more important is to keep Union Home Kitchen alive, and to get that to make sure we're sustainable in that before we can think about B9. This has really helped us to be more creative. Um, it's actually really helped us think more about how, like, sussing more things about V9, what we're thinking through with V9 and stuff like that. It kind of helped us, like, kind of, like, say, whoa, put on the brakes. Let's figure out V9 a little bit. But most importantly, how do we keep uh, Union Moon Kitchen alive, you know, sustainable so that we can get to V9? And, you know, everything's on pause. Everything's pushed back, you know. So, yeah, that's kind of where we are at. Speaking of Union Monk Kitchen, tell me about mm-hmm. the reaction with that business. How did you guys kind of make a pivot and, and react? So most of the food that we do uh, with, you know, where we're at, at Sociable with the uh, residency and the food trailer is it's really, I don't know, it's easy to go. It's easy packed up because, you know, it's um, at the end of the day, it's it's food trailer food. It's uh, it's bar food. So we already had that system. We've never done to go before. Um, we were just strictly cooking for the tap room. But um, what happened was probably like three days, four days before the shutdown, my business partner Dave was like, "Hey, we should start thinking about doing to go or you know looking into that." And so we kind of just kind of made up a menu. And one of the things that we just thought about is the fact that in times of crisis and times of need, like for us, like having meals together with our family is big. So we just said, hey, let's just do a family meal. Let's do a family meal and and let's just have people order in family meal style. And so, yeah, that's kind of what we did. And the first week was very unorganized. We had a few people that like wrote to us. They were like, I felt like this wasn't the best. And I'm like, dude, like we just got shut down. Okay. Right. Can you just, we got a few emails, people feeling like they can give their little like Yelp two cent, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like I felt like food wasn't as up to par and you're like, bro, man, like just give us, you know, like just give us a few weeks. Like, this was day two. I think I, when I got an email Wow. <laughs> and I was just like, bro, man, give us a few weeks, man. Like we just kind of lost everything for a little bit here. And so eventually we kind of got the right system, the right platform. And now we're kind of trucking, and we're just saying, how do we keep this momentum moving, you know? And then for me, it was more, it was just as important to make sure that we're sustainable, but to take care of our people. So we text everyone and said, hey, here's the deal. This is kind of what's going on. So like two weeks before the shutdown, we hired three new people. And so we're like, okay. So we kind of just had a conversation with them saying, hey, like, this is kind of what the outlook is going to look like. We're going to 
make sure you get as many hours as we can, but we, we just don't know. So we were literally operating like day by day. I wasn't sure if the government was going to shut everything down completely. So we're like, well, I don't know. We, I, we might not even have a job the next day. I don't know. But uh, I think we're in a pretty good rhythm right now. I mean, you know, we're going through all safety protocols, just like everybody else is, you know. I think one of the things that we I push press really hard with my guys is, is it's kind of like, you know, you can't really control what they do, but it's, you know, kind of that word of mouth promise where it's like, hey, man, if you guys are going to work here, like, I just need you to be like to go home and work, go home and work like no side stuff. And if you are serious about working here and so just having that really heart to heart conversation with them, saying like we want to protect our people, our customers, we want to protect each other. And they've been really good about it. They've been super open about everything. So we've been really transparent with what we're trying to do with them. So that's really been cool. It's it's really stretched the limits of a lot of people, not only in your industry, but industries everywhere. And not even specifically related to industry, just people in general have really had to make huge changes and discover new things about themselves. Well, speaking of that, have you discovered anything new about yourself since this happened? Like capabilities that have um, been hidden and have now all of a sudden come out of the woodworks because you've been so pressured? Yeah, you know, I feel more front of the house now. So it's literally answering phones, answering emails. People are requesting, people are calling in saying, hey, you know, I, I have a wedding plan in October. Will you guys be, well, can you guys still cater? You know, so like one of the cool things is like we still have people who we had a bunch of catering events with them around this time and that they they put a pause on it and they now have said, hey, like we're going to reschedule and we still want you guys to, to be around. We want you guys to do it. That's been really, really cool. Speaking of your businesses and the stuff that you're doing, what are some specific directives that you can give people that will enable them to keep helping you? I mean, specifically Union Monk Kitchen, but I mean, I imagine there really isn't much that we can do for V-Night right now. It's considering it's Mm -hmm. essentially completely on pause. Yeah, and it's not like, you know, I've been telling people, it's not like we're we're walking away from that. I don't think anybody right now is is starting anything or building anything. It's, you know, we're we're in survival mode, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think we're starting to see a little bit of light right now saying, okay, there's some clarity. For the last, you know, almost two months, like we were kind of seeing some, okay, is this the new normal? I don't know, you know, but so, so V9 is not gone. It, it's still there. And I, I still like, I kind of tell people like, like to get where, you know, I was talking to a, to a friend of mine who's a, he, you know, he does PR and he's a communication specialist. And he's like, man, just when I, when I think about your story, um, when I think about your story and think about what you guys have gone through, it's just been like, it's like you're almost there and then like something happens and then you have to like, we figure out. And that's the story of us from pop-ups to this residency. There were, there were talks of food halls that, you know, were promised and stuff like that. The idea of pivoting, it was kind of funny because our guys, we laughed about it. We we're like, yeah, we, we do that all the time. Like, you know, regardless yeah. of what was happening with the Corona, I'm like, yeah, we've been pivoting for like the last four years, you know? <laughs> Um, Union Monk Kitchen was supposed to start out as a, as a restaurant, not a pop-up. Uh, so we were like, yeah, we're used to pivoting. Like, I'm like, you know, when you're a pop-up and you go into these kitchens and the, the owner of the kitchen goes, hey, man, uh, you know how I said that I was going to have this equipment, this equipment for you? Well, like, it just broke today. So you're going to have to figure it out. And, and so we're used to going, okay, well, let's make a makeshift grill in the alley and cook out of the alley. Like, we've done that before. So pivoting is kind of like what we were used to. So, and I'm not saying this didn't hit us hard. It did hit us hard. But being in pop-ups and doing these pop-ups, like, you learn how to adapt. With that, V9 is 
uh, on pause and you know we'll let people know once that gets going but yeah i think one of the big things i, I you know i tell people and even my own friends is like when everyone's saying support local, support local, like, like, what does that mean to you? What does that look like to you? And I think that if everybody, every family just says, Hey, two nights a week, we want it. We're going to, we're going to do takeouts and just basically make a list and say, these are the people that we, we want to do takeouts from and just rotate it. And I, I think that that really helps. Sell. And that's like one of the big things, man. We've been finding out and we have this dude who comes like, I think he comes like almost once, even twice a week. And sometimes he'll come and we'll be out of stuff. He's like, ah, don't worry. I'll be next week. I'll, I'll be here for that. And it's just so cool. It's just so cool to see the community come around us. And it's so cool to see people coming that are driving half an hour up from Lakeville. And they're coming in. They're like, hey, man, like we just we read about you guys. We just heard about you guys. We want to, you know, we want to do our part. Even people just coming in and getting a, we, when we ran that uh, the fried chicken bami sandwich, people will come in and just get that, get a bami sandwich. That helps. Yeah, and it was incredible. And so it's been incredible. And it's, you know, again, we feel very blessed to be where we're at. Can you tell us the details, the specific details of the Union Monk Kitchen Service model right now so that people know yeah. when to go, they know what they're mm-hmm. able to get, price points, et cetera? Yeah, so it's pretty simple. It's all online, uh, unionmonkkitchen.com. And there'll be a little strip up there that says, you know, order, and you order. And, you know, we also uh, tagged in uh, Sociable because Sociable also is doing uh, carryouts and growlers. So if you want to do a double dip, you can actually press on their link too and just go order from them. You come, you pick up food, you can pick up some drinks, you can go home. Our basic menu is we have three options. You know, you have plenty of options, but the three basic options, you have your two meal for two, meal for four, and meal for six. And in those options, you get proteins. You get to pick the, uh, our, you know, our fried chicken or our roast pork or our barbecue pork. And then that comes with sticky rice and vegetables and some pickles. So you get that two, four, six. And then we have like kind of one-offs depending on the guys that are working inside, you know, working and what they want to do. Uh, like, again, we like ran specials. So last week was the Bami hot dogs. We got hot dogs from uh, Peterson uh, Craft Meats, uh, Andy Peterson and those guys make these incredible hot dogs. And so we just jokingly said that the Bami hot dog, uh, imagine if a, a kid grew up in Chicago, but was a Vietnamese kid and grew up eating Bami, you know, like that was the kind of the genesis of the hot dog. So we, we I love hot dogs. I, I love Chicago dogs, but like, we know, uh, our guys like love Bami on, on the trailer. So we're like, well, let's just kind of merge these two cultures together. Uh, our chef de cuisine, uh, Mike, uh, he's, he, he's a Chicago kid. He's from Chicago. So Chicago dogs are like in his blood. So we do that. Um, we have like a like a roasted uh, smoke whole cauliflower. And that one's a really, really fun dish. Uh, very popular. We've been working with our vendors at Fortune. So they have this uh, kind of, they have these tr- rainbow trout. We've been smoking ra- smoked rainbow trout with sticky rice and hot sauce. Like that's the jam right there. So you get this uh, really sweet, smoky, fatty fish, flaky fish with like, and all that absorbs into the sticky rice. And then you get, you know, this uh, kind of this tomato, um, tomato chili hot sauce with it. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll switch things up every week. I think this week we're going to be running our um, Hill Tribe Grilled Chicken, the one that's in the Bon Appetit magazine. So we'll be running that. Yeah. I mean, like we just get to, we get to play on one end, but then we have the basics, you know, the basics on the menu. And so I think the, the meals, like if you order the family meals, like they average like 15, 16 bucks a person. That's what it breaks down to. We've had people say with the fried chicken, uh, we have a guy who's like, I learned how to reheat that. He's like, if you have fried chicken left over, oven at uh, 425 for like eight minutes. And you put the fried chicken in there and still crispy and it reheats it. 
our fried chicken is man it's you know the, the the story of the fried chicken literally dude was we were just hungry on the trailer and we were just like let's just make some fried chicken and it's what we had around so literally it was it's chicken boneless chicken thighs we're like okay um we have to make like a dredge for it so we like we, we, we put together some seasoning and then we're like okay we have to make this a wet batter so we're like so as sociable they have all the low pour cans you know all the cans that they can't sell because they're like you know it's low pour and it's got dense so they you know they give them out to us and and we're like oh yeah well you we'll use the 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 hard cider as kind of like you know it's a beer batter it's like hard cider batter you know whatever and then we didn't have any flour all we had was uh uh, we didn't have AP flour, so all we had was uh, cornstarch, uh, tapioca uh, starch, and rice flour. So we're like, okay, let's just do this. And so we started out with that, and it was just like us to eat. And then we're like, oh, well, let's try selling it. And it blew up. And wow. literally, bro, last last weekend, we did 250 pounds of it, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. And we have like some – like we always joke with the, the cook who comes in. Who's do, who's like doing fried chicken? It's like, yeah, man, you're stuck there on the double fryer, just like the whole time, just dropping chicken, you know. And we got this guy named Kenneth, and he's kind of a newer, greener guy, guy into the kitchen. And I'm like, bro, man, when you go home, like, and you take a shower, does that like chicken grease come off? He's like, nah, it kind of smells for a couple of days. So our fried chicken has been the big hit. And again, it's gluten free, and like we didn't intend it to be that way. It was just what flowers we had, and they were all gluten free flowers. So. So things like this have been really kind of fun stories that we could tell. Um, trying to find some, I don't know, light, some humor, some fun in the midst of everything that's going on. Yeah, well, you're all about telling stories. You're really good at taking events and seeing things and kind of like contextualizing them into stories that can be told. You talk about how your food is kind of like the story of the Hmong people. And it's seeming like now with everything happening the pandemic mm-hmm. is going to be the story of Vinai <laughs> when it when it comes yeah. out. It's so because it's so closely tied to the opening because you know things are on pause yeah. because of it. But my hope is that some sort of renaissance will occur when everything opens back up because people have been so starved for social settings. They've been so starved to go back out to eat at restaurants, and you know I'm really excited for new restaurants. Honestly, in the midst of this, restaurants yeah. that are in limbo, but you know restaurants like yours and kim's new restaurant when these spots open it's my hope that they'll just blow up because people just need to get out they need that social setting that they've been missing so badly well i feel i feel that the one thing that with the whole virus thing going on right now i feel like the one thing that's really taught us as humans as people is that we need each other you know it's so interesting because we're so connected to our phones and social media, just texting each other, just you know, leaving these quick messages. But I think one thing that the virus here has really taught us is that we need human contact. Like we need to see each other. Like, like you know, like even my, you know, some of my buddies, I'm like, man, I don't want to text you. Like, just call. Let's talk on the phone. You know, just like I just need that human contact. I need that uh, human interaction. And I, I really like. Like it's so important. Like, why are restaurants so important? So that we can sit down, we can have a meal. Look, you know, look at each other across the room. We, we could we could see each other. You know, we can even even as simple thing as like hugging my buddies. You know, like hugging people I love and care about. Like, I miss that. I miss that a lot. Like, we I dropped off some stuff at one of my uh, buddies' house, and like the first 
instinct I have, I haven't seen him in a while, you know, well, we talked and stuff, but you know, I'm saying like face to face, I've seen him a while. The first instinct was just to give him a hug. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, no, like you had to like reach. It was weird. Like you couldn't turn it off. And I think that's what's really showing that like, we need each other uh, in the midst of everything. It's, so we need that contact with each other. We need to be around each other. We need, you know, how important conversation are, is, you know, instead of, you know, like quick little like, hey, let's do this. Hey, meet me here kind of text messages it's like yeah these long conversations where we can you know suss things out and we can talk to each other how important that is right the economic fallout is bad and that that whole realm of business is terrible i get that but i really do think like you say the lack of physical closeness with each other is almost worse than that because at least during an economic fallout if we didn't have the coronavirus we could at least Mm -hmm. go to a friend's house who maybe lost his job put your hand on his shoulder and say look buddy it's going to be okay but we don't have that either and we're heading towards a pretty bad economic situation so with those two things combined it really is like the worst of of both worlds where, you know, yeah. people are, are uncertain, people are losing opportunities and jobs. And at the same time, they're also losing the, that, that, that physical aspect of human connection. I mean, yeah. personally, I'm not, I'm not a big FaceTime person. I've never been a mm-hmm. big calling and, and video chatting person, but you know, ever since this went down, I've been needing to FaceTime just, just to see I'm my friends, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's like, and it's funny because like, it's, you know, funny, interesting to me where it's like these buddies are like a 10 minute drive away, you know, like if that, but it's like, I'm talking to them like we live worlds apart. And that's what's really hard for me. And some of my, my friends where it's like, man, like you literally live four miles away from me, but I have to talk to you this way, you know, through a video that distancing is, it's starting to get to some people like, you know, I know some, I know buddies who are, they're depressed, they're down. You know, they're, this is like, they're not doing well because of this, you know, stuff. But I don't know, man, when I, when I think about it and I'm think that what thing that we've been seeing a trend of, which is like been really cool is we have seen people come to a, a order takeout and they just don't, they order for themselves and they order for an, another fam. So it's been like super cool for them. Cause like, we'll get these tickets where it's like, you know, an order for a family meal for two and then another family meal for two. And then, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, I'll just get for it's just it's a little cheaper you know but you know they'll call in they'll they'll put a note and be like hey can you package this you know separately we want to you know give this to one of our friends and so that's just been super cool to see and we've been getting a lot of those you know where it's just like yeah like we're getting something to eat but then we want to get something for our neighbors or we're getting something to eat and we want to grab some for our family too so that's been really cool just to see and i don't know um I feel like it, those tickets are the ones where I'm like, okay, dudes, like we got to like make sure this is perfect. You know, like we can't mess this up, you know? I mean, we do that for all the tickets, but you know, that, those are the ones yeah. where we give a little extra love to, you know? Yeah. In regards to everything going on, obviously it's not a reality that people can't get takeout every day. A lot of people are now resorting to their kitchens a lot more because that's kind of where they're stranded and they're, and they're, yeah. they're cooking. And a lot of people, the reality is a lot of people maybe aren't used to cooking so, well, first of all, tell me, have you been in your own kitchen recently or have you been too busy for that? Because what I'd like to kind of frame here is understand what, if anything, you have been doing in the kitchen. And then yeah. second, maybe regardless of what you've been up to, maybe tips 
that you can offer people yeah. on how they can navigate their kitchens during this crazy yeah. time where they're kind of forced to do that? So one of the things, yeah, I have, you know, um, I've been uh, cooking a lot at uh, my girlfriend's place and it's literally kind of that idea of uh, she loves the meal plan. So we're trying to, you know, figure out meal planning and stuff. But for me, I'm kind of like swing by the hip kind of whatever, like, hmm, you know, is today a day where I want to do, you know, fried rice or, you yeah. know, and it's usually a lot of my mood too. So it's like if I had a long day uh, at, at the restaurant and, I'm just like, dude, I'm so sick of looking at food. Like, is it a frozen pizza night tonight? You know, like, so it all, all depends. But so I've been dorking out with a lot of my uh, childhood memory stuff of stuff growing up eating. So it's a lot, you know, some like fried rice, different kinds of stir fries, different fried rice bowl, things that are simple. I, I've been, you know, dorking out with that. I, I just love, okay, I love making like classic american dishes not necessarily like mung dishes like i tell people I'm like making mung food that's like i do that for my job that's cool i love it don't get me wrong <laughs> but like just like like dude like seriously like meatballs cacio de pepe you know like stuff where it's like that's the kind of stuff i like doing you know at home uh, a friend always says like oh you you like making white people food i'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, I love, you know like it's not wrong with that for breakfast, it's like eggs, bacon, you know, potatoes. It's like dining food. But people in the kitchen, I would just say, man, like, keep it simple. I think, like, people think, like, okay, we have a lot of time. And then they're like, oh, we're going to find this recipe from this book, and then we're going to try to hit it up. And I'm like, keep it simple. Like, that whole idea of, like, before you can run, like, learn how to walk. Before you can walk, learn how to crawl. For people who aren't familiar with the kitchen, now they have time to go in the kitchen. I just say start basic. And I think it's very important to learn, like, techniques so I'm, I'm a big proponent of learn techniques not recipes because all the recipe stuff will come but you have to learn technique like what does it mean to have a good sear on a you know on a piece of protein you know uh, what does it mean to braise what does it mean to you know what's the difference between braise boiling and broil learn the techniques you know i think that once you get that the recipe stuff like we can always interchange proteins vegetables whatever starch but learn techniques get good with it like I don't know when I first started cooking, like it was, okay, I want to learn what it means to like put a good sear on the, you know, when you always hear people chefs go, oh, put a good sear on it. Like, what does that mean? I've burned a few things before, you know, before I figured out what a good sear feels like. Learn how to, you know, uh, learn how to touch food with your hands. I'll be real honest, like learn how to cook with all your senses. Like there's a certain kind of smell when, um, when onions, when, when you're cooking down onions and there's that perfect sweetness, like there's a certain kind of smell for that. Learn that. Rather than, hey, do I do this for 12 minutes? And that's why I tell people, like, everybody's stove, everybody's oven is different. So you have to learn to cook with all your senses. So, yeah, like, even friends that will, like, kind of FaceTime me in and be like, hey, I'm cooking this. How does that look to you? And I'm like, how does it look to you? You know? <laughs> right. Um, and I'm like, I'm going to start charging you guys for this stuff. I got to make a living too, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so those are the things I tell people, you know. Uh, focus more on your technique. It's a good time to learn how to just slice and dice and chop. Right. Uh, and if you mess up, call it rustic. <laughs> yeah. The recommendation for simplicity has been a resounding recommendation for a lot of different chefs that I've been talking to because I feel like there's a certain pressure for some people that now that they have more time, they need to make something that requires more time. And that's not mm -hmm. necessarily true. They should be making mm -hmm. things that they can do easily and quickly and mm -hmm. as they, you know, as they get better, they can up the ante a little bit. But I mean, for yeah. me personally, 
I just, I'm just making the most simple stuff possible right now. I'm just, cause it's just, it's just fun for me doing the same thing over and over again and doing it a little bit differently each time and seeing how things change, but really not going too overboard. Like a common meal that I've been eating is rice, beans, and a corn tortilla. And then I'll like fry the corn tortilla and I've been doing the rice differently. Um, I always cook the beans from dried. So I've been making different kinds of bean broths by boiling mm-hmm. them for different times and soaking them for different times. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's, that's, that's all you really need is just a, a few simple techniques to really look at master. And when it comes to the recipes themselves, don't focus too much on the individual components. Yeah. And I think too many people are so worried, especially when it comes to cooking at home, is like following direction. Like, what does the direction say? And I think this is where I get in trouble with a lot of like people that request recipes from us where I'm like, I don't know, just put this, this in. And they're like, well, what's the direction? I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, you put it in it for this long and make sure when it sears right, turn it. What, what, what does that look like? I'm like, I don't know. Like, you you make the decision. Like, I, I all think like repetition too, where you're really kind of saying, hey, like I – you know, I mean, I have a buddy who's like, I just want to, you know, he's like, I want to learn how to make a good steak on my cast iron, you know? So it's like, I talked him through it and he was so worried because he's like, well, what if I burn it? I'm like, dude, that steak's like three inches thick. Trust me, you're not going to burn it. Um, it's like, oh, did I put too much salt? I'm like, no, man, it can, it can handle that. So it's just like, you just got to believe in the system. And I always, especially when you're, when people are cooking with fire or flame, I always say like, don't let the fire or flame control you. You control it. So, like, I've seen people, like, cook and they freak out because they're like, oh, my gosh, it's too much heat. What do I do? And I'm like, well, pull it off the heat, put it to the side. And they're like, well, I can do it. I'm like, yeah, you can do that. It's You know, it's you can't let that heat just control you. Like, when you panic, just you feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm burning it. Pull it off the heat. Throw it to the side. Put it on a plate. Like, it, it's okay. Just let it rest, you know? I think, again, that comes through with, like, repetition. It comes through with time. It comes through with people just trying to getting more comfortable in the kitchen. You know, talking to you just now, I think I, I think I just hit epiphany about why I like cooking so much, and I find it to be two reasons that are kind of analogous yeah. to life itself. So, one, cooking as life should be is a very intuitive process. There should be some mm-hmm. little something directing you or something urging you to do yeah. certain things. Yep. I mean, yep. I mean, I'm doing this work not because I actively think about doing it this is almost kind of like autopilot to me like i just naturally mm-hmm. do yep. journalistic audio related stuff mm-hmm. the same goes for cooking like you know, like smelling the onions knowing that smell intuitively mm-hmm. knowing when they're mm-hmm. done you know not using timers mm-hmm. not using cups and measuring just like knowing certain amounts for for different things and i think the other part about cooking that is so closely tied to life is that you know, if you're afraid, if you're afraid to make mistakes, you're never going to do anything. And oh, yeah. in, in the Definitely. kitchen, you have, you can't have this expectation that nothing's going to go wrong. I mean, you way more than me, but I've made so many mistakes. I've ruined so many dishes. I've burned so many things, but it's because of that, that I've been able to improve. Same goes for life. I've made Bro, a lot of bad yeah, no. stuff and stuff that I'm not super happy with. But it's only because of that that I've been able to make incremental improvements. Yeah. I, I think Rascal Flat says it the best when they said, God bless the broken road that led me straight to you. You know? <laughs> um, no, I just, I just feel like all these mistakes you make will bring you to this one point. And so, like, here, here's the thing. I, don't get me wrong. I love food media. I love food TV. I love the documentaries, blah, blah, blah. I think that people 
watch that and then feel like, oh, or like they'll, they'll, they'll see like chef's table and they're like, that's what I want to look like. I'm like, do you understand the amount of hours and hours and hours and hours that some like these guys have put in to get there? Like, do you know how many things they had to burn? Do you know how many like dishes that they screwed up to get there? Like, you never saw that. You only saw the end product of this really beautifully masterfully put together dish, you know? And, and I think that people see that and they want that, but they don't want the 20 years of work that took there and, and it took them to get there. And so that's what I think about in the kitchen. You know, I, I used to uh, teach um, cooking classes out at um, the good acre. And, and when we were doing these cooking classes, do you know that some of my best like students or some of the most fearless students I had were uh, kids like you know 12 13 year old kids because they weren't afraid of making mistakes like if they were searing like you know i had by the end of this cooking us class where we were doing with these kids it was like a five-day like summer cooking class by day uh, by the fifth day they were roasting whole chickens and one of them and he's the kid was like 13 these kids are like anywhere from 12 to like 12 to 15 or something like that and one of the kids was like a younger kid i think he was like 11 and his mom was like, wait, so did, you know, did, you know, did like the chef you do this? And I was like, no, he did it himself. Like I showed him how to spatch pack a chicken. We roasted it all up. And their mom was like, wait, can you show me how to do that? And I'm like, I'm, and I was talking to his mom and I'm like, there's just something about this childlike wonder you have, you know, where you're like, okay, if Yia tells me that I need to just let it rest there and put it in there, I'll do it. Now, same class I did it with adults they all freaked out because it's like, Oh, I'm burning it. Like I can't, like, I have to touch it. I have to, pe-. and I'm like, no, you, you don't. Now you just ruined it by trying to, you know, flip it too early. And now it's stuck in the pan. So it's really interesting to me watching people, you know, adults being so afraid of making mistakes that they actually make the mistakes that they're afraid of making. While you have these children who just say, okay, well, we'll see what happens. And they're okay. If, if something did mess up, they're like, yeah, that's awesome. Great. You know? And so it was, it was incredible to see that parallel. And that really taught me a lot about like taking risks. It's okay to make a mistake. And you know, I attribute a lot of that back to my parents. My dad has always said to me, Hey, like if you ever do anything and you fail, your mom and dad, we're always here for you. This is home. You always get to come home. And so I've never felt like I could fail so hard in life that I can't go to them. You know, once you have that security, that when someone tells you that no matter what your mistakes you make, like you're okay, everything's fine. And I take that today as we are going through everything here with the virus and all the pandemic and everything going on. Yeah, I did like the first week. I just, you know, of, of the shutdown, I just thought to myself, well, what if this is it? Like, I I don't know anything else. I don't know how to do anything else. But I can, you know, I, I see my parents as, hey, like if this doesn't work, if this thing happens and you. You know, you don't have a job anymore and all this fails. Like, you can still come home. You're, you're safe here. We're your parents. We love you. You can still come home. And so when you have something like that, it actually propels you to be more courageous, not because I have courage inside of me, but it is because my mom and dad, they're the fuel to their courage, you know? And so I don't know. That's kind of how I feel when it comes to cooking, when it comes to life in general now these days, especially with everything going on. It's like, can't be afraid of the next day. Not when I have this great support behind me. Uh, my father always said that, you know, there's nothing so hard. There's not. There's no situation that you can't work the problem. Like he's always like his mentality is like you work the problem. If there's a problem, you work the problem and you, you move forward. You work the problem, you move forward. 
and it's his life has been a testament to that. And so when you see that, for me, I don't feel like cowering because I saw a man do that and he led our family. And so that kind of gives gave me a lot of drive, especially being in the kitchen. And then that's kind of what I tell people: like you can't be afraid of making mistakes in the kitchen. And if you do, it's a meal. It's okay. You you can you can you know if it's breakfast, you got lunch. Do it at lunch. Yeah. I don't know if that made any sense. No, it made a lot of sense. And I think that's a great place to end on. So like with, with one final statement here, moving forward, looking ahead, I think we just have to all keep in mind, you know, what your dad said. Just keep working the problems that arise and move yeah. forward. Because yeah. we've faced a lot of problems already with this coronavirus, uh, but there's more to come. And with each new one, we're just going to have to work it out and figure it out. And of course, some of us, are more fortunate than others. Some of us are still able to engage with their work, whether it's just their nine to five that is now translated onto a laptop or whether it's a creative venture that they now have more time to do. Maybe you're someone who has lost their entire livelihood. Regardless of what situation you're in, you're still going to be having problems. And again, your dad, just work on that problem. Once that problem is relatively figured out, move on to the next one. And I think yeah. the best way to do that is break it into small little problems because yes, there's a lot of definitely. massive problems right now that we have no control <laughs> over. So how about we take the ones that are, you know, directly affected to our own personal lives, break it up in, into one sixteenth chunks and then focus on one at a time. And once the entire one sixteenth is figured out, then you move on to the next set. But yeah, words of wisdom from your dad really enlightening thank you yeah so much for being with me today it means a lot oh man thanks a lot brother i appreciate it thanks for reaching out it's it's been a good convo uh, i look forward to what you do with vni but until then just keep supporting union monk kitchen can you quick give us a reminder of the hours so people know when to come yeah. by um yeah right now we are open uh wednesday through sundays uh wednesday through thursdays we're open from four to seven Saturday and Sunday, we're open 3 to 7. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll be sure to include that in the episode's description, too, so people can double-check. So, yeah, go go awesome. support Union Mung Kitchen, and we'll all stay excited for V&I. Can't wait. Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate it so much, man. Yeah, my pleasure. Take care. See ya. Yeah. Later, bro. Hey there. Thanks for sticking around. I won't say much here other than to remind you, of course, that details on both Union Monk Kitchen and Vini can be found in the description of this episode. If you found our conversation of value, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing it with a friend. Oh, and make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Other than that, consider this a reminder to stop checking the news, get outside, take a walk, read a book under a tree, ride your bike around the neighborhood, just get out there and do something while maintaining six feet, of course. Until next time, take care.